hope you got milk, bread, and toilet paper because the snowpocalypse is upon us. There's a lot to talk about tonight, even aside from our topic. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to An Hour of Your Life. My name is Kim. And my name is Steve. And like I said, there is a lot to talk about tonight. Everything from the snow that is out there, it's the weather's really weird. I mean, we're expecting, we're under a winter storm. Warning. Warning, just yeah. like a lot of the country is. And it's been up in the 40s. It was 50, almost 60 it's degrees been yesterday. raining all day. And it's supposed to turn over tonight to sleet. And then tomorrow we might have up to a half, half inch of half ice. Half inch of ice, yep. And then it's going to turn to snow and we might get... Lots of snow I, on I top think of the they ice. Were calling for six to eight inches. Yeah, well, I don't know if that's. I mean, to a lot of some people, that's not a lot, but to us. Yeah, we haven't had a snowstorm like that in a long time. Yeah, but the problem is not years. even the snow. It's ice. It's, it's the amount of ice, and yeah. the governor has come on and asked everybody if if there's any way you can stay home tomorrow, if you can close the schools, if you can do this, if you can do that, stay home because. With all the rain, they couldn't get out and they couldn't pre-treat the roads. Yep. And so it's going to be nasty tomorrow when this ice is over. So they're they're wanting the, um, they don't want a situation like what happened in Virginia a couple of weeks ago. And they want everyone off the road so the trucks can get out there and treat the roads, clear the snow. And if people are out doing what they do, oh my gosh, I went to Kroger tonight to get stuff. Now I go to Kroger Every day for food. As I come home, I stop and I stop and I get groceries. But because of the snow, I anticipated what was going to happen today and watched the news last night. Yeah, So I anticipated, what, Monday? I bought enough food for the week, which I typically don't do. Mm-hmm. And uh, got up to Kroger tonight. More out of just curiosity, shelves were empty. Really? Yeah. Milk, bread. Like, no, it's like snacks. 48 hours. Snacks. Something like that. It's not yeah. even that long. Snacks. Toilet paper. I mean, you think Ugh. you think COVID-4 was upon us right now. The toilet paper aisles were, were bare again. I mean, yeah, really. I mean, by Friday, this will be cleaned up and everything will be back to normal. So I you, hope so because we have tickets to go to the Philharmonic on Friday, and I'm really excited. We're I hope see. so. It's been a, there's been a lot going on. So the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl. That happened on Sunday. Um, first time, first time in 30 some odd years, 34 years, something like that. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get to go see Hamilton last night. It was fantastic. If you are able to go see it, I highly recommend it. Um, and then tomorrow there's going to be a mess and then hopefully Friday, we're going to go see the Dayton Philharmonic perform CCR. And my sister-in-law has been in the hospital since last night trying to have a baby. So we're on baby watch again. So it's been a busy week. There's a lot going on this week. There is a lot going on this week. And to top all that off. It's February 2nd. And we got up to watch Poxitoni Phil. We did. Yes, I did. Yeah, correction. But I couldn't find him on any of the channels like normal. And so I just had to watch reruns. Oh. And that rodent saw his shadow. So mm-hmm. as legend has it, 
we have six more weeks of winter. Yay. Because, uh, but, you know, as guess what our the topic of today is? I'm going to go with Groundhog Day. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot because we need to find out what Buckeye Chuck did. Yeah, so that's one of the things I would say is that, yes, Punxsutawney Phil is theoretically our national groundhog weather guy, but, and we'll talk about this a little bit later too, but I mean, I feel like most states have their own groundhog or at least have a regional groundhog that's probably more accurate to your location. We're going to get way in depth to this. Yes, we we are. Yes, we are. Yeah. Everything today on this episode you're going to learn about the Groundhog and Groundhog Day. More than you ever thought that you ever needed to know. So, like we said, well by now, you know that the Groundhog in Pennsylvania saw his shadow, so that means six more weeks of winter weather. So every year we wait for February 2nd with great patience to see what that famed Groundhog has to say about our upcoming weather for the next few weeks. Will it start to warm up and we'll start seeing spring-like weather? Or will we need to keep our winter clothes out for another six weeks because winter weather has been extended because what the groundhog saw? So legend has it that if in North America the groundhog comes out of his burrow and looks around, and if he sees a shadow, it means six more weeks of winter weather. But if he doesn't see it, it means... Spring is coming mm-hmm. upon us quicker, more fast than normal. Yep. But I guess with what we know now, we better keep our winter coats out. Yeah. So in just this little intro, we've raised some interesting questions for those inquiring and inquisitive minds. We've left the door open for even more in-depth level wondering because we know that this is the hottest thing on your mind these days. It's not any of that other stuff we talked about at the opening of the show. It's just Groundhog Day. It's about the Groundhog. So we mentioned this is a North American tradition, but did the roots of Groundhog Day originate somewhere else? How did it start? Is there more than one groundhog? Do other animals predict the weather like the groundhog? How accurate are the groundhog predictions? Is our friend Kirsty Zantini from WHIO in danger of losing her job to the groundhog? What does the groundhog do when it's not forecasting the weather? This is all valuable, quality, useful information that everybody should know. And in fact, you know, if you listen to an hour of your life on the regular basis, you should probably be a trivia expert. Well, trust me, there's good money to be made at trivia at the good, most reputable trivia events. We plug uh, Sarah G. She is local. Um, She does trivia at the Wandering Griffin, if you're in the Dayton area, on Monday nights and Fifth Street Brew Pub on Tuesday nights. Yeah, exactly. And we have about $70 worth of gift cards from our winnings. I guess you could say we're kind of like uh, trivia professionals with this. I mean, we we theoretically, we do get paid for it. And isn't that like the definition yeah, of a professional? I, I think so. Or I wonder if we need to report our earnings and our winnings to the IRS. I do have to say, though, in conducting the research for this episode, I thought it would be an open and shut case. But just like the 12 days of Christmas, there's a lot more to this story than you might imagine. So, Kim, I guess the first big question that needs answered before we get into the meat of this, oh, I said meat, (laughs) meat of this episode, what exactly is a groundhog? The groundhog, Marmota monax. That's the scientific name? Yes. Is also known as a woodchuck, Hmm. and it's a rodent of the family Scuridae, belonging to the group of large ground squirrels known as marmots. 
The groundhog is a lowland creature of North America. It's found throughout much of the eastern United States, across Canada, and into Alaska. It was first scientifically described by Carl Linnaeus in 1758. Well, that's one we'll have to keep in store in our trivia brain. <laughs> it's also referred to as a chuck, a woodshock, a ground pig, a whistle pig, a whistler, a thickwood badger, a Canada marmot, a monax, a moonak, Weenusk, Red Monk, Land Beaver, and among French Canadians in Eastern Canada, Siffleur. Ooh, I'm glad you had to say that word. <laughs> right now, I'm thinking about that Geico commercial. Hey, you dang woodchuck, stop chucking my wood. Do you remember that one? I do remember that yeah, one. That's okay, an old well, one. Okay, that's a woodchuck right there. Now, the name Thickwood Badger was <laughs> given in the Northwest to distinguish the animal from the Prairie Badger. And Monax is an Algonquin name of the woodchuck, which means digger. And young groundhogs are called chucklings. I did not know that. I chucklings. Think that's cute. That's another one we need to store for trivia night. Yeah. Okay. So the groundhog, being a lowland animal, is exceptional among marmots. Other marmots, such as the yellow-bellied and hoary marmots, live in rocky and mountainous areas. Groundhogs play an important role in maintaining healthy soil and woodland, and in plains areas. The groundhog is considered a crucial habitat. Habitat engineer. Groundhogs are considered the most solitary of the marmot species. They live in aggregations and their social organizations also vary across different populations. Groundhogs do not form stable long-term pair bonds and during mating season, male and female interactions are limited to <laughs> copulation. However, so Don't talk to me, just... Let's yeah. get this over with. However, here in Ohio, adult males and females associate with each other throughout the year and often from year to year. Hmm. Groundhogs, what is it about Ohio? Groundhogs <laughs> are an extremely intelligent animal forming uh, complex social networks. They're able to understand social behavior, form kinship with their young, understand and communicate threats through whistling, and work cooperatively to solve tasks such as burrowing. Now, the weight of an adult groundhog typically falls between four pounds and a half and up to almost 14 pounds. So they have a pretty big spread there. It's pretty typical. Well, there's a good reason. It, it's pretty typical in the animal world that male groundhogs average slightly larger than females. And like all marmots, they're considerably heavier during autumn than when they emerge from hibernation in the spring. So they hibernate. There's your good reason. Adult males average year-round weight eight and a half pounds with a spring-to-fall average of six pounds, 13 ounces to about 11 pounds, while females average about seven pounds, 13 ounces with spring-to-fall averages, six pounds, 13 ounces to 10 pounds, nine ounces. So they're pretty close. Um, the, the males are about a pound heavier than the females. Groundhogs keep growing and attain progressively higher weights each year for the first two or three years. And then after that, their weight peaks out and they kind of stop gaining weight. And they have four incisor teeth, which grow about one sixteenth of an inch per week. Now, their constant usage wears them down again by about that much each week. And I'm sure a I would lot hope of people, it would or they would have. Yeah, a lot of people have probably heard that urban legend of if a a rodent doesn't chew that its front, that its bottom teeth will grow up and puncture its brain. I don't know if that's true, but that is definitely an urban legend. 
Now, unlike the incisors of a lot of other rodents, the incisors of groundhogs are white to ivory white. Um, a lot of times, like you see beavers and sometimes even rats and mice, they'll have their more yellowed. Um, so the groundhogs have nice pearly white teeth. I wonder why that is. I don't know. Groundhogs are well adapted for digging. They have powerful short legs and broad, long claws. And in the wild, they can live up to six years with two or three being average. But in captivity, groundhogs reportedly live up to 14 years. Now, human development makes for a great habitat for groundhogs. because And this is where things are different, usually Bad human. Yeah, but no. Um, there's extra openings that have been created. Um, trees that are planted with development kind of makes groundhog heaven. Developed areas are pretty much free of predators beyond humans, which is mainly through various forms of pest control or road kills or mid to large sized dogs. Um, their typical wild predators are um, coyotes, badgers, bobcats, foxes, especially the larger red fox. So if you live, like we live in kind of um, a more rural developed area. So you're just as likely to see a red fox as you are to see a medium-sized dog. Um, So we don't have as many groundhogs around our neighborhood, but... Um, A lot of the predators are really successful stealth stalkers, so they can catch groundhogs by surprise before they can escape to their burrows. And badgers also likely hunt them by digging them out from their burrows. Now, coyotes in particular are big enough to overpower any groundhog, and larger predators like the gray wolf and the eastern cougar um, what are basically non-existent in the eastern United States, but they can still hunt groundhogs in occasion in Canada. And golden eagles also prey on adult groundhogs. So they have quite a few predators out there. Now, beyond their large size, groundhogs have several successful anti-predator behaviors, usually, like we said, retreating to the safety of their burrows, which most predators, except for maybe the the badgers and some of the other digging predators, they won't attempt to enter. But groundhogs are also ready to fight with those sharp claws and the big teeth, like we said, um, anybody that tries to attack them. And they can also scale trees to escape threats. Yeah, and if you just look at it, you wouldn't think. No. You wouldn't think it. They look... Like cute little harmless little animals. They're not though. They're they're they're, they're mean. They're mean. They're pretty tough. And um, you know when when I w- was reading about um their claws and about how they can scale trees, they almost remind me a little bit of a black bear, yeah. in the way that they kind of their evasive maneuvers. Well, I had no idea that they could climb a tree, because I've never seen a groundhog in a tree, and I've I've seen plenty of groundhogs. But maybe that's why. I mean, maybe that's part of it too, is because groundhogs are tree colored. So you might have seen a groundhog in a tree, but you didn't realize that's what you were looking at because they were the same well, color. Maybe as the tree. I'm always looking down at the ground for a groundhog. <laughs> that's true. And they're I'm not never called tree hogs. They're not called tree hogs. <laughs> in some areas, woodchucks are important game. Animals are killed regularly for sport, food, or for their fur. In Kentucky, an estimated 267,500 were taken annually from 1964 to 1971. A lot of groundhogs. Woodchucks had protected status in the state of Wisconsin until 2017. Woodchuck numbers appear to have decreased in Illinois, though. The time spent observing groundhogs by field biologists represents only a small fraction of time devoted to field research. W.J. Schoonmaker reports that groundhogs may hide when they see, smell, or hear the observer coming. Marmot researcher Ken 
Armadige states that the social biology of the groundhog is poorly studied. Despite their heavy-bodied appearance, groundhogs are accomplished swimmers, and as we said, they occasionally climb trees when escaping predators or when they want to survey their surroundings. I, I guess, mean, hey, let's, let's check it out. Too, yeah. hey, let me just climb up there and Although, take a scout. I don't know if, if they hide when they say, see, smell, or hear observers because a lot of times you see groundhogs next to the highway, like just popping out of their burrows. So. Well, that's it, but if you got close... Yeah, they maybe duck, if they... they would duck right in because they prefer to retreat to their burrows when threatened. So maybe they just don't feel threatened. I mean, maybe they got their safe space there. And if yeah. you get within 10 feet like a goose, they, they attack. <laughs> if the burrow is invaded, the groundhog tenaciously defends itself with its two large incisors and front claws. Groundhogs are generally combative and territorial among their own species and they may skirmish to establish dominance. I can picture a groundhog just like that's my that's switchblade, like coming out switchblade, like jets and sharks groundhog style. Yeah, slashing those teeth. <laughs> yeah, outside the burrow, individuals are alert when not actively feeding. I mean, you've seen them; they pop up and they look around, and they're yeah. always watching. It's it is it's common to see one or more nearly motionless individuals standing erect on their hind feet when they're watching for danger. Yeah. When alarmed, they use a high-pitched whistle to warn the rest of the colony, hence the name Whistle Pig. Have you ever heard that? I've never heard one. I've because heard usually one if either. I get close enough to them, they're going to go down the burrow. I've never been... But I've never had the... I don't know that I've ever been around a groundhog except in a car. Like, I don't know if I've ever been out... And yeah, seeing a groundhog never, in the wild, like I've just seen them from a passing car. I mean, I've seen them, and I've but if you get close to them, they they disappear. So I've never yeah. heard one squeal or anything mm. like that. Um, groundhogs will squeal when fighting, seriously injured, or when they're caught by a predator. Other sounds groundhogs make um, include barks and a sound produced by grinding their teeth. Mostly herbivorous, groundhogs eat primarily wild grasses and other vegetation, including berries and agricultural crops when available, which I think is kind of interesting that they can get up to like 14 pounds just eating, you know, greens. Groundhogs will occasionally eat small animals like grubs, grasshoppers, snails, and even baby birds, but they're really not omnivorous. It's only kind of as necessity. Yeah. Now, an adult groundhog can eat more than a pound of vegetation every day. And in early June, their metabolism slows while their food intake decreases, and, but their weight increases by as much as 100% as they produce fat deposits to sustain them during hibernation and late winter. Okay. You always say that... <laughs> I do always say. That you think humans are destined or should be hibernators. I agree. I would challenge anybody to tell me that you are not more tired and more prone to overeating during the cold winter months. Okay, well. I believe that humans as a species. You would like to be a bear or a woodchuck. I believe that humans as a species are meant to, biologically meant to hibernate or experience some form of hibernation. And it's only societal pressure and culture that prevents us from doing so. Well, I, I think we better be careful or Podbean is going to kick us off for her spreading disinformation. Uh, no, that is my personal belief. Well, I'm not saying that's Podbean's or yours or anybody else's. I'm, I don't think so. I would love to hear a scientist's take on this. Anyway, instead of storing food, groundhogs <laughs> stuff themselves to survive the winter without eating. 
So I try that every winter. I don't like I said, we all do. So they they're thought not to drink water, which I thought was really interesting. Instead, they reportedly get all their needed liquids from the juices of food plants and aided by their sprinkling with rain or dew. We've already mentioned several times that groundhogs are excellent burrowers and they use their burrows for sleeping, they're rearing young and hibernating. Um, that guy, W.J. Schoonmaker, who you mentioned earlier, when he excavated um, some dens, he excavated 11 dens and he found that the volume of earth removed from those averaged six cubic feet per den. The longest burrow was 24 feet plus two short side galleries. And the volume of soil taken from that den was eight U.S. bushels weighing 640 pounds. That's a lot of dirt. That is a lot of dirt. Uh, The average weight of the earth taken from all 11 dens was 384 pounds. So that one one was just a really, really big den. Um, Most groundhog dens are not that big. Must have been... It, it was he like, didn't hibernate soon enough and like, I'm bored. Yeah, maybe, keep, maybe they have I'm a big family. Digging. I don't know. Uh, though groundhogs are the most solitary of the marmots. Have, thought she was going to have twins. Right. They're the most solitary of all the marmots, but several individuals might occupy the same burrow. Groundhog burrows usually have two to five entrances, providing them um, their primary means of escape from predators. And burrows can really pose a serious threat to agricultural and residential development by damaging farm machinery and even undermining building foundations. That's dangerous. In a June 7th, 2009, Humane Society of the United States article, How to Humanely Chuck a Woodchuck Out of Your Yard... John Griffin, (laughs) director of Humane Wildlife Services, stated that you would have to have a lot of woodchucks working over a lot of years to create a tunnel system that would pose any risk to a structure. But it is hypothetically possible. Burrows are used for safety, retreat, and in bad weather. Um, And hibernating, sleeping, they have a little love nest in there. And that's also where they have their nursery to keep the little babies safe. The little, what are they called? Chucklings? Chucklings. Little chucklings. Now, in addition to the nest, the groundhogs have something that a lot of modern houses do, and that's an excrement chamber. You know, those little, like when you have in the bathroom, we call it a poop closet. It's just like a toilet that's kind of stuck in the closet away from the rest of the bathroom. Groundhogs invented that. (laughs) (laughs) The hibernation or nest chamber is lined with dead leaves and dried grasses. And Bachman mentioned that when the young groundhogs are only a few months old, they start getting ready for separation and they'll start digging their own holes in the area of their early homes dig your own chamber yeah pretty get much. out of yeah you're, it's getting too big in this chamber yeah go start digging your own there you go. Okay. and then that's how you wind up with 609 cubic foot of dirt and over controlling uh overbearing parents mm-hmm. we're gonna make something out of those guys that's start right. digging because if you got if you can't burrow you can't survive there you go so we're gonna teach you young absolutely groundhogs are one of the few species that enter into true hibernation and often build a uh, separate winter burrow for just for this purpose. The burrow is usually in a wooded or brushy area and is dug below the frost line and remains at a stable temperature well above freezing during the winter months. In most areas, groundhogs hibernate from October to March or April. To survive the winter, they are at their maximum weight shortly before they enter hibernation. When groundhog enters hibernation, there's a drop in body temperature. And this is amazing right here. When the groundhog enters hibernation, there's a drop in body temperature to as low as 35 degrees Fahrenheit. Heart rates fall to about 4 to 10 beats per minute. And breathing rates 
go to one breath every six minutes. Good grief. Yeah. So that's why I don't think humans are kind of shoot your theory right there. Well, no, because groundhogs, you said true hibernation. I'm not saying that humans are meant for true hibernation. Like I think that I think that we have our own bears don't hibernate the same way that groundhogs hibernate and humans don't hibernate the same way bears hibernate. But I think that we are supposed to have some form. If you know about hibernation, please give us a call. <laughs> During hibernation, they experience periods of torpor, which is or torpor is being a state of physical and mental inactivity. You and me both, groundhogs. <laughs> yep. It's interesting. There's actually kind of a lot of words for the same thing. Like torpor is a one word. Hibernation is one word. Snakes and lizards bromate. It's all basically like you just kind of shut down for the winter. And yet another reason why I think humans are meant to hibernate is because there's so many words for the same thing. Anyway, hibernating woodchucks lose as much as half their body weight by February. Also, another reason why I think humans should hibernate. Think of how easy that would be. They emerge from hibernation. They got to get ready for bikini season. <laughs> they emerge from hibernation with some remaining body fat to live on until the warmer spring weather produces abundant plant materials for food. Males emerge from hibernation before females. That seems about normal in our house. <laughs> Groundhogs are mostly daytime creatures, and they're often active early in the morning or in the late afternoon. Both their diet and their habit of burrowing make groundhogs serious nuisance animals around farms and gardens. They'll eat a lot of commonly grown vegetables, and their burrows can undermine foundations. Not enough to make your house fall or your barn fall, but they can definitely structurally weaken. Um, like you know, small buildings. Yeah. yeah. Sheds and things like that. Very often, the dens of groundhogs provide homes for other animals, including skunks, red foxes, and contail rabbits. The fox and the skunk feed upon field mice, grasshoppers, beetles, and other creatures that destroy farm crops. So in aiding these animals, the groundhog indirectly helps the farmer. Uh, we got to take a little pause right here for a second, Kim, to yeah. announce the birth of Rory, who was born at 647. <gasps> Yay! Seven pounds, 12 ounces. Congratulations. Here's everyone's doing fine. And pictures are coming. So congratulations, Grandpa and Mimi and Mama and Daddy and Uncle Jake and everybody. Uncle Steve and Aunt Kim. And I'm so excited. Oh, congratulations, everybody. Um, I guess we should hmm. <laughs> I guess we'll get back to groundhogs. So uh, where were we? Let's see. In addition to providing homes for themselves and other animals, the groundhog aids in soil improvement by bringing subsoil to the surface. They're also a valuable game animal, and they're considered a difficult sport when hunted in a fair manner. And in some parts of the United States, they have been eaten. Yeah. It's seen not that. something that I really think about eating, but... But, see, I think that's really interesting that they actually can aid the farmer because they provide shelter and... For the for habitat yes. for the other animals that are eating yes. so, animals that really destroy crops. So groundhogs are kind of a catch-22. Like they do, they, you know, they'll eat your crops and they'll, you know, structurally mess up your, bar your, your barns and stuff and your sheds. But on the other hand, if there's going to be a hole there anyway, a helpful animal might as well move in. Yeah. Now you said that in some parts of the United States... They're eaten, and I can testify, yes, they are. Oh, have now, you had groundhog? No. Well, I have never tasted a groundhog, but my mom says that as a young girl back in Kentucky, 
Her mother would fix them about twice each spring when they first came out of hibernation. That actually makes a lot of sense, timing-wise, because I would think that groundhogs are probably too fatty to eat, but if you're eating them right after they're done hibernating, when they're at their least fat, they might be pretty good. I don't know, but she said Granny would uh, prepare them. She would pepper them up really good and then bake them in the oven, and then she thinks, now this was a long time ago, she thinks then that they would broil them some to get a nice brown Hmm. cover on top of it. The meat is more like a red meat, like like beef, unlike possum, which which is the other white meat, like pork. I I don't think I could eat a possum. Yeah. Possums are filthy, disgusting animals. It's the other white meat. I could not. Possums and raccoons are gross. I will tell you one time, sitting around with my granny, and she said, I wish I had me a big fat possum to cook up right now. I could maybe see eating a groundhog. Maybe. Maybe. Because I tend to think of them a little bit more like a rabbit. I mean, you eat rabbit. Yeah, and they're eating leaves and plants and stuff like that. I mean, it may be a possum out in the country. Yeah, but the possums we see around here are they're like... They're mean they're and like they're stinky. Dum- they're dumpster divers. Yeah, they're no, so gross. No, I'm not, Ugh, not, gross. Not, not not touching a possum. No, thanks. But I would probably be, probably be tempted to try a groundhog. Yeah, I'd try a groundhog once. prepared properly. Yeah, you don't want to go eating raw groundhog meat. No. But they kind of already season themselves, right? Yeah. By eating all those like, herbs yeah, get and over there, Get over there to the garlic patch. Eat, eat yeah. some garlic. Okay. So, in an attempt to put a bounty on the groundhog, on a report in 1883 by the New Hampshire Legislative Woodchuck Committee describing the groundhog's objectionable character. And I quote, The woodchuck, despite its deformities both of mind and body, possessed some of the amenities of a higher civilization. It cleans its face after the manner of the squirrels and licks its fur after the manner of a cat. Your committee is too wise, however, to be deceived by this purely superficial observation of better habits. Contemporaneous with the Ark, the woodchuck has not made any material progress in social science and is now too late to reform the wayward center. The average age of the woodchuck is too long to please your committee. The woodchuck is not only a nuisance, but also a bore. It burrows beneath the soil and then chuckles to see a mowing machine and man and all slump into one of those holes and disappear. The committee concludes the small bounty will provide incalculable good at all events, even as, even as an experiment. It is certainly worth trying. Therefore, your committee would be respectfully recommended that the accompanying bill would be passed. So Translation. They- Groundhogs are kind of clean, but they're stupid and boring and annoying. So go kill them. Yeah, they want. They're trying to get a, a bill passed to put a bounty on Ooh, on a groundhog. It's kind of harsh. Yeah. Like okay, it kind of cleans itself, but, but it's I, really stupid. But I really like the way people talk back in the day. Oh. And you're going to get more of that on next week's episode. Oh yeah, you will. I'm yeah, super will. excited for next week's. Um, okay. Anyway, we'll get there. Groundhogs might be raised in captivity, but their aggressive nature can definitely pose problems. Doug Schwartz, who's a zookeeper and groundhog trainer at the (laughs) Staten Island Zoo, has been quoted as saying, they're known for their aggression, so you're starting from a hard place. His natural impulse is to kill them all and let God sort them out. You have to work to produce the sweet and cuddly. Groundhogs are used in medical research on hepatitis B-induced liver cancer. 
And a percentage of the woodchuck population is infected with woodchuck hepatitis, um, also called WHV, which is similar to the human hepatitis B virus. Humans do not receive hepatitis from woodchucks with WHV, but the virus and its effects on the liver make the woodchuck the best available animal for the study of viral hepatitis in humans. I had no idea. I didn't either. Um, so they have a similar virus to us. So they they'll test that. Va- they won't give you know they won't intentionally probably give them woodchuck virus or hepatitis, but they'll find the ones that have it and then they'll experiment yeah. on them. Until that happens, and it's just like COVID, and it's going to get leaked from the lab. Oh, oh anyway. yeah. Okay. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> um, the only other animal model for hepatitis B virus studies is the chimpanzee, but the chimps are an endangered species. Um, whereas woodchucks are not. Uh, so woodchucks are also used in biomedical research investigating metabolic function, obesity, energy balance, the endocrine system, reproduction, neurology, cardiovascular disease, cerebrovascular disease, and neoplastic disease, all likely because of, um, you know, their hibernation state. Uh, and so those, um, like those one breath every six minutes, you know, that's really interesting when you consider cardiovascular and and uh, Kim, like their endo. You're really reaching right here. No, I'm not. Their metabolic function, that's a big deal. When they hibernate, like their metabolism slows way, way down. And that's a really interesting thing to study and kind of cross over into humans. And what is, you know, All right. like I said, in those winter months, does our metabolic function change much? Or not. Alrighty. Or, listen, just because I'm smarter about this stuff doesn't mean that you have to be mean about it. Anyway, researching the hibernation patterns of groundhogs may lead to benefits for humans, including the lowering of the heart rate and complicated surgical procedures. And See, it's the next surgical procedure. Very next bullet in, in the notes. In surgical procedures. Anyway, Kim, but you know what? You may be onto something. I know I'm onto something. Okay. <sighs> Groundhog burrows have revealed at least two archaeological sites, the Ufferman site in the U.S. state of Ohio and yep. the Meadowcroft Rock Shelter wait, in wait. Pennsylvania. Wait, wait, we got to train people, not from the Buckeye state. O-H. I-O. Okay. Okay. Um, archaeologists have never excavated the Ufferman site, but the activities of local groundhogs have revealed numerous artifacts. Well, now you should know everything about the groundhog that needs to be known. I've... Honestly, or that is capable of, of being, being known. known. Yeah, because they're they're sneaky little creatures. <laughs> <laughs> if you watch Letter Kenny, yeah, 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 and they're sneaky little. What was that, Letter Kenny? Uh, I don't remember which one it was, but creatures is not the no, word that they no, used. no. That was from uh, Bubbles and Trailer Park oh, Boys. That's right. They're sneaky they're, little. They're sneaky little creatures. Uh-huh. Yeah, he didn't say creatures. creatures. Yeah, yeah. But like we were saying, I did you know that. It was such a complex little animal. I did not. I did not. I and no I, I know a lot of stuff. So next time we're at trivia, I hope it's groundhog <laughs> trivia. Anyway. I am going to start looking in trees for groundhogs. I will too. So do you think it's really time now to get into the the true story, the story of Groundhog Day, now that we know I about the groundhog? So. Yeah, I think everything you wanted to know about the fabled celebration of Groundhog Day is uh, we're about to commence with that. Um, now, if you're not from the United States, 
I suggest that you Google up a picture of a groundhog and look at it through the rest of this episode to kind of get the full impact of, of kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah. Now, when you say that, that sounds kind of silly, but when I was, um, our, our friend Neil from Australia, when I first met Neil, we were at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, which is overloaded with groundhogs. And we, Neil and I were going to go out to lunch one day and he was just looking and he's like, what are all those creatures out there? Like, and for us, it was just like, no big deal. It's a groundhog, but he'd never seen one. Yeah, I imagine it would be the same for me. If I went to Australia and see some some creature down there. They have all kinds of scary things in Australia. Yeah. Anyway, Groundhog Day is a popular North American tradition observed both in the United States and Canada on February 2nd every year. It comes from the Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Dutch superstition that if a groundhog emerging from its burrow on this day sees its shadow due to clear weather, it will retreat back into its den and winter will go on for six more weeks. If it does not see its shadow because of cloudiness, like today, spring will arrive early. Now, that's in Ohio. Right. Okay. But he did Apparently see a shadow out, today. Yeah. Okay. In Pennsylvania, western right. Pennsylvania. Yeah. So, while the tradition remains popular in the 21st century, studies have found no consistent correlation between uh, being a a groundhog seen its shadow and the subsequent arrival timing of spring-like weather. So, Kirsty, I guess you get I to keep you're, your you're job. Safe. Yep. You're safe. The weather lore was brought from German-speaking areas where the badger is the forecasting animal. This appears to be an enhanced version of the lore that clear weather on the Christian festival of Candlemas for, uh, forebodes a prolonged winter. And it's interesting that you mentioned the 12 days of Christmas at the beginning of this because Candlemas yeah. was one of the things that we talked yeah. about on that show too. Yeah. The Groundhog Day ceremony held at uh, Puxatawney in western Pennsylvania centering on a semi-mythical groundhog made Puxatawney Phil has become the most popular and the most famous groundhog of all. And um, he he's he attends that ceremony every single year. Well, it's for him. It's for him. It's all about him. It's all about Phil, yeah. Grunsau Lodges in Pennsylvania Dutch country in the southeastern part of the state observe the occasion as well. Other cities in the United States and Canada also have adopted the event, and we'll go into a lot of detail about these other cities and, and the groundhogs that, that frequent them. Mm-hmm. The Pennsylvania Dutch uh, were immigrants from the uh, Germanic-speaking areas of Europe. Now, I do want to say right here, I want to stop you, because we have... Um, so I can do Spanish and French, to sp- French-ish. Um, I cannot speak German. Steve is the German speaker. So here in our notes, um, there are quite a few German phrases that, out of respect for the German people, I'm not even going to attempt attempt to say so my apologies they're probably not going to be as witty translated as they are in german because i know of at least one that is supposed to rhyme that i'm not going to make a rhyme so just a little heads up fyi yeah anyway the germans had a tradition of marking candle moss february 2nd is badger day where if a badger emerging from its hole found it to be a sunny day thereby casting a shadow if forbade the uh, prolonging of winter by four more weeks. Candlemas is uh, primarily a Catholic festival, but also known in the Jew- German Protestant, or the mostly Lutherans in German, and their churches, and the Protestant churches of Germany. I wonder how 
it became six weeks instead of four. Don't know. Long ride over on the boat, I guess. <laughs> in folk religion, various traditions and superstitions continue to be linked with the holiday, although this was discouraged by the Protestant reformers in the 16th century. So this goes Along back. Along with Christmas. It goes, it goes back a long way. It, they, Notably, yeah. several traditions similar to weather lores use candle moss weather to predict the start of, of spring. The weather-predicting animal on candle moss usually was the badger, like we said, although regionally the animal was the bear or the fox. The original weather-predicting animal in Germany had been the bear, another hibernating mammal, but when they they grew scarce in Germany, the lore became altered. Similar to the groundhog lore has been noted for the German formula, Sond ich der Dachs in der Lichtmisswolke, so geht auf er... Auf wer Vulcan wieder Zulocha. And that translates to if the badger sunbathes during Candle Moss Week, four more weeks of. I'm having harder with it, time with English. <laughs> four more weeks, he will be back in his hole. A slight variant is found in the collection of weather lore, the Farmer's Rules, printed in Austria in 1823. Is that like, kind of like the Farmer's Almanac? The Farmer's Rules. Yeah. Yep. So. It, much in the same way that the bear became the groundhog, and or the bear became the badger, and then the badger became the groundhog when the Germans came to America. Correct? Pretty much. Okay. So the same tradition as the Germans, except that winter spell would be prolonged for six weeks instead of four, was maintained by the Pennsylvanians on Groundhog's Day. In Germany, the animal was docks or badger, but for the Pennsylvania like Dutch... the docks hound? Oh, yeah, but... Yeah. For the Pennsylvania Dutch, it became the docks, which in Deutsch referred to groundhog. The standard term for groundhog was grundachs from the German docks, with the regional variant in York County being grunsau, which is like ground a pig. ground pig, ground girl pig, um, a direct translation of the English name according to a 19th century book on the dialect. The form was a regional variant according to one 19th century source. However... The weather superstition that begins. Do you want to say it? There's wet herung is grunt auk dach, von die grundau er schatte sind. February 2nd is Groundhog Day. If the groundhog sees its shadow, that's what that all means. It's given as common to all 14 counties in Now, Dutch that was Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Dutch dialect, oh. which is a little bit different. Than German dialect. I don't speak that one either. We should have had Sui translate we that. We should have. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, it was given as common to all 14 counties in Dutch Pennsylvania country in a 1915 monograph. In the Thomas R. Brendel collection of Pennsylvania German folklore, Brendel preserved the following lore from the local Pennsylvania German dialect. I'm going to try this. I think I can say it. Okay. You'll have to tell me if I totally butcher it. Van der sei Schad seit im Lichtmais Mari dan geht er wieder ins Loch und bleibt noch sechs Wochen drin. Van Lichtmais Mary our Drieb ist, dan bleibt der Dachshaus und wacht noch einer <laughs> Freijahr. Pretty close. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty close. When we try when, it, <laughs> if you want to. Von der Docks Zischada seit im Lichtmas Marie Dongate Erwiders in Lokes und beliebt Nachsex Voke Drin. 
von Lichmes Marie Anwärtreib ist dann blieb der Dachs Haus und wat nach einander freier. When the groundhog sees his shadow on the morning of February 2nd, he will again go into his hole and remain there for six weeks. But if the morning of February 2nd is overcast, the groundhog will remain outside and there will be another spring. We do have some listeners in Germany. <laughs> I hope you understood what we said. The form Grunsau has also been used by the lodge in Allentown and elsewhere. Brendel also recorded the name Grunsau Dog. Grunsau Dog, thank you, Groundhog Day in Lebanon County, and Doc's Dog, Groundhog Day in Northampton County. Victor Hugo in Les Mis, 1864, discusses, See, I'm glad you said that. discusses the day as follows. It was the 2nd of February, that ancient Candlemas day, whose treacherous son, the precursor of six weeks of cold, inspired Matthew Lanesburg with the two lines, which have deservedly become classic. Que luis ou que lucerne, lu rentres en sa caverne. Let it gleam or let it glimmer. The bear goes back into his cave. We are so international. I said French-ish. I'm sure I probably butchered that we, one. We are just so international. Not as bad as I butchered the German, though. Yeah, I can get along in Germany. Whew. Anyway, it's been a while. I will be the ugly American. <laughs> the groundhog was once also known by the obsolete Latin alias Acromates. Oh, do you want me to try this one? Yeah, you do that one. Arctimus monax. Good. That's in Latin. <laughs> The genus name signified bear rat. The European marmot... <laughs> well, that's like what I said. It climbs trees like a black bear. Yeah. The European marmot is of the same genus and was formerly called... Arctomyus alpinius. It was speculated <laughs> that the European counterpart might have lore similar to the groundhog attached to it. The German version with the introduction of the badger or other beast was an expansion on a more simple tradition... That if the weather was sunny and clear on Candlemas Day, people expected winter to continue. The simpler version is summarized in the English, primarily we're talking like the Scots right here, that says, if Candlemas is fair and clear, there will be trois winters in the year. Hmm. With equivalent phrases in French and German. And the There's a whole lot of ways of saying the same thing. The if it's same sunny, thing. you're getting more winter. Yeah, but you know what? They all kind of yeah. matched each other. So they did. maybe there was something to it. Could be. And the existence of uh, of a corresponding Latin phrase has been suggested as evidence of the long history of this tradition. So I mean they didn't just dream this up out of nowhere. They must have had some foundation yeah. to put this on. I bet it's got its roots in paganism somewhere. Somewhere. I don't know. The use of candles, we know, and all the research we did, I couldn't find that in depth to find where that was. And I looked. I really, oh, I really, I'm really sure. But I would, I would, it sounds like a very pagan custom. Like I would not be surprised. Yeah. But I'm talking about the similarity across oh. different cultures of how yeah. it, it came across. So sure. well, maybe, the, you know, the st I don't know. The use of candles on Christian Candlemas was inspired by the Roman rite of the goddess Februa, in which a procession of candles was done on February 2nd, according to Yoder. The Roman calendar, in turn, had Celtic origins. Candlemas incurs with the Imbolc, one of the Celtic cross-quarter days, the four days which marked the midpoints between solstice and equinox, mm -hmm. or between fall and winter. Last year, do you remember? You didn't like it, though. Last year, I made some in bulk bread, and I thought it was delicious, and Steve didn't like it. It had 
lavender and dandelion and orange and lemon and poppy seed. It was delicious. Anyway, um, let's talk a little bit about the British and Gaelic calendars. Scholar Reese Carpenter in 1946 emphasized that the Badger Day tradition was strong in Germany, but absent in the British Isles. And he referred to this as a reason that the U.S. Groundhog Day was not brought by immigrants from those places. There did exist a belief among Roman Catholics in Britain that the hedgehog predicted the length of winter, or so it's been claimed, but Which without another, demonstration of its age. It's another little cute, fuzzy little animal. I don't know if it's fuzzy. I guess they're well, kind of fuzzy. It's kind of coarse. Underneath, it's fuzzy, I it's, guess. It's, yeah, but the, the yeah, it's, fur is coarse. Hmm. Yeah. Um, in a publication by the Scotland-born American journalist Thomas C. Macmillan in 1886, an American writer-journalist Samuel Adam Drake's book, published in 1900, and then in the Gaelic calendar of Ireland, Scotland, and the Isle of Man, Bridget's Day, February 1st, is a day for predicting the weather. While in Scotland, the animal that heralds spring on this day is a snake, and on the Isle of Man, a large bird, in Ireland, folklorist Kevin Donaher records lore of hedgehogs being observed for this omen. In the Irish folk tradition of St. Bridget's Day, 1 February is the first day of spring and thus of the farmer's year. To see a hedgehog was a good weather sign, where the hedgehog comes out of the hole in which he has spent the winter, looks about to judge the weather, and returns to his burrow if bad weather is going to continue. If he stays out, it means that he knows the mild weather is coming. So, so I mean, it's groundhogs, hedgehogs. There's a lot of animals used to predict weather, snakes. and they're all pretty much burrowing animals. Correct, and yeah. they all a lot of. I mean, they hibernate. Yeah, and so I'm just wondering if, in all these different cultures, if the same things were kind of observed, like mm -hmm. how some things were invented like in Asia and in Europe simultaneously. So I just wonder if these were just like common observations that back in the ancient day, this was observed and this is how, okay. and they all, they all kind of match up too with seeing the sun or seeing your shadow. Yeah. And they all kind of match up to that. So I don't know. There might be something to it. Now, the observance of Groundhog Day in the United States first occurred in German communities in Pennsylvania, according to known records. The earliest mention of Groundhog's Day is an entry on February 2nd, 1840 in the diary of James L. Morris of Morgantown in Pennsylvania Dutch country, according to a book on the subject by Don Yoder. The first reported news of a Groundhog's Day observance was arguably made by the Punxsutawney Spirit newspaper of Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania in 1886. What a marketing department they got. They said, up to the time of going to press, the beast has not seen its shadow. Beast. However, it was not until the following year in 1887 that the first Groundhog Day, considered official, was commemorated there with a group making a trip to the Gobbler's Knob part of town to consult the groundhog. I wouldn't call it a beast. I'd call it more of a critter. I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. But um, you know what? I guess if you've been attacked, if you reach in that burrow yeah, and those incisor maybe. teeth, that's in those claws, that's, that's pretty beastly. That's biased journalism. Yeah. Uh, people have been gathered annually at Gobbler's Knob for the event ever since. And it's on TV now. It is. Now, Climber Freyus, um, who was the city editor at the Punxsutawney Spirit, is credited as the father who conceived the idea of Groundhog's Day. It's also been suggested that Punxsutawney was where the Groundhog Day events originated, from where it spread to other parts of the United States of Canada. Um, and the Groundhog Day celebrations of the 1880s were carried out by the Punxsutawney Elks Lodge. I don't know why they weren't carried out by the Punxsutawney Groundhogs Lodge, but they weren't. The lodge members were the genesis of the Groundhog Club formed later, which continued the Groundhog and Day tradition. But they still were at the Elks Lodge. Yeah. 
But the lodge started out being interested in the groundhog as a game animal for food. It started to serve groundhog at the lodge, and they had been organizing a hunting party on a day each year in late summer. So well, this that, well, is like that the, fatty groundhog. Yeah, that's when they got I guess the that fat one. Rendering is cooked down really good. I guess. Maybe make a good pie out of that groundhog lard. Maybe so. The chronologies given are somewhat inconsistent in the literature, and the first groundhog picnic was <laughs> was held in 1887, according to one source, but given as post circa 1889 by a local historian in a journal. The historian states that around 1889, the meat was served in the lodge's banquet and the organized hunt started after that. But either way, the Punxsutawney Groundhog Club was formed in 1899 and continued the hunt and groundhog feast, which took place annually in September. The hunt portion of it became an increasingly ritualized formality because the practical procurement of meat had to occur well ahead of time for marinating, like what you said. They had to render it down. And and my mom said that Granny would marinate it overnight to maybe she brined it like we do a turkey or something like that. Yeah. But something maybe to take the gaminess out of it. I don't know. A drink called Groundhog Punch was also served. Mm, mm, I don't mm. know what is in Groundhog Punch, but um, I'm sure you can probably Google a recipe. The flavor of groundhog has been described as a cross between pork and chicken. Now, I asked my mom if she remembers what it tasted like, and she said she really doesn't remember what it tasted like, but she said it was good, and she would eat it again. Hmm. All right, then. Um, The hunt and the feast did not attract enough outside interest, and the practice eventually discontinued. The groundhog was not named Phil until 1961, possibly as an indirect reference to Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, rest in peace. Today, the largest Groundhog Day celebration is held in Puxatawney still in Pennsylvania, where crowds as large as 40,000 people gather each year to see this groundhog. But I guess, you know, it's probably like a a party and a festival. I I imagine there's a lot more going on. Kind of like how in Beaver Creek they have the popcorn festival. I imagine this is like their their annual town festival. And I bet you that town makes a lot of money off this. Oh, I guarantee they make a lot of money off of it. That is nearly eight times the year-round population of of the town. The average draw has been about 2,000 until the 1993 film Groundhog Day, which is set at the festivities in Puxatawney, after which attendance rose to about 10,000. I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for this, but I don't like that movie. Probably because I've seen it a million times. Over and over. Yeah, and it was funny the first like couple, but then after a while, you're like, huh. The official fill is supposed to be a super centurion, having been the same forecasting beast since 1887. So he's like a, I don't want to say a superhuman, he's like super ground groundhog. Yeah. In 2019, the 133rd year of the tradition, the groundhog was summoned, and he is summoned. Because if you've never seen it, it's like a ceremony it how is. they do this. Yeah. Well, and... You know, you don't want to just reach your hand in and grab him. That's no, you might a, lose that's a finger. rude, and B, they're, he's mean. He, he's just waking up from hibernation. He right. might lose a finger out of that one. But anyway, he was summoned to come out at 7.25 a.m. on February 2nd, but did not see his shadow. Now, that's 2019. That was 2019. Fans of Poxitone Phil waited his arrival starting at 6 a.m. thanks to a live stream provided by A Visit to Pennsylvania. The live stream has been a tradition for the past several years, allowing more people than ever to watch the animal meteorologist. Kirsty, I think your job is still safe. Mm-hmm. In 2021, that was the 135th, 
and for the first time, much of the Inner Circle members were required to wear a mask. The Groundhog was summoned at 7.25 a.m. on February 2nd, and he saw his shadow. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the ceremony was held behind closed doors with no fans being allowed to attend. But they still broadcast it online, so I'm sure all those 40,000 people So throw all those conspiracy in. theories out about uh, no, there, there's no transparency, and they, they kept it hidden nope, so they could... all online. It was all online. You could see it. Now, with the United States being so large, it's hard for Phil to make an accurate prediction for the entire country. He's kind of just a figurehead at this point. Yeah. The Slumbering Groundhog Lodge, which was formed in 1907, has carried out the ceremonies that take place in Quarryville, Pennsylvania. It used to be a contending rival to Punxsutawney over Groundhog's Day fame. However, they use a stuffed woodchuck. That's just not right. I, hey, you got to use a real one. Yeah. I mean, you got to be, there's got to be risk. A woodchuck of, is not seeing anything. You got to, yeah, it can't see anything. It's dead. And you got to be at risk of losing a finger. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But 100%. I got my theories about what they do to poor Phil before they manhandle him mm. all over the place. Anyway. In southeastern Pennsylvania, Groundhog Lodges or Grunsal Lodges celebrates the holiday with Fersumling. Close enough. Uh, basically social events in which food is served, speeches are made, and one or more plays or skits are performed for entertainment. Gespiel. Gespiel, that's what yep. those plays are called? Yep. The Pennsylvania German dialect is the only language spoken at this event, and those who speak English pay with a penalty, usually in the form of a nickel, dime, or quarter per word spoken, with the money put into a bowl in the so center of the table. We're not ever going to that. So don't drink too much of the woodchuck punch and then get up there and yeah. go on a rant. It might cost you a fortune. We're not going but to But you know that what? Ever. We need to we need to ask Debbie or Sui yeah. to go to this sometime because the, they both speak Pennsylvania Dutch. Our sister-in-law and her sister are from Pennsylvania Dutch country. And they're wonderful people. They are lovely. Um, now, in Milltown, New Jersey... Hmm. Milltown Mel was purchased in 2008 in Sunbury, Pennsylvania by Jerry and his wife, Kathy Gooseline, and lived in a cage in the Gooseline's backyard. His first event was at their business, the Bronson and Gooseline Funeral Home, but then later events moved to the American Legion Post with free coffee and donuts served afterwards. Now, the original Milltown Mel passed in 2015. Rest his soul. He was replaced... And our condolences go out to Milltown, New Jersey, because the most recent Milltown Mel passed away yesterday. February 1st. February 1st. So unfortunately, Milltown was not able to procure a replacement in time, and they did not get to celebrate Groundhog's Day this year. Well, they could do like that one city and just get a stuffed groundhog. They could. And pretend and like shake it and pretend like it's real. I would like to have a moment of silence for Milltown Mel. Okay, moment of silence is over. <laughs> Stonewall Jackson predicts that the Space and Farms Museum in Sussex, New Jersey, Essex Ed the Groundhog and, o- and Otis the Hedgehog predict at the Turtleback Zoo in West Orange, New Jersey. Great Neck Greta of Great Neck, Long Island, New York predicted um, in 2020. Quigley from the Hamptons, uh, he's a resident of Save the Animals Rescue Foundation. He predicts at um, Quag Village Fire Department. Staten Island Chuck is the name for the official weather forecasting woodchuck for New York City housed now, in Staten Island Zoo. This is one either very mean groundhog or a very political groundhog. Who, Staten Island Chuck? Staten Island Chuck. He's very political. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah. Now, in 2009, 
Chuck bit then NYC mayor Mike Bloomberg, prompting zoo officials to quietly replace him with his daughter, Charlotte. <laughs> was Mike Bloomberg a Democrat or a Republican? He was a Democrat. Oh, well, I guess we know where Staten Island Chuck falls on the political spectrum. Yeah, huh? I, think, I think Staten Island Chuck's a Republican. Now, but keep in order. We are not going to get political on this show. We are not. No, but we think, but, we think, we but think Staten also, Island Chuck is, though. But wait, listen to this. Now, in 20, so he's replaced with Charlotte, his daughter. In 2014, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio famously dropped Charlotte during this ceremony. Well, if he didn't like Democrats, he sure doesn't like them now. <laughs> Which visibly disturbed many of the children present for the event. <laughs> Wait, it dropped, gets worse. They dropped Chuck. No, it was Charlotte. Oh, I'm sorry. They dropped Charlotte. Now, wait, it gets worse. Charlotte's untimely death a week later prompted Ooh. rumors that she was killed by the fall, although the zoo later said this was unlikely to be the cause of Charlotte's demise. But as a result, Bill de Blasio did not participate in any further ceremonies. Okay, so we've determined that uh, Staten Island Chuck is a Republican and does not like Democrats at all. And, yeah, and that Bill de Blasio and, needs to just stay away Bill, from groundhogs. Bill de Blasio, de Blasio apparently killed Chuck. Charlotte. Charlotte, yeah. 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 Uh, now, Dunkirk Dave. And, and like traumatized hundreds of at least school kids yes. watching. Dunkirk Dave is a stage name for numerous groundhogs that have filled the role since 1960. He's the local groundhog for Western New York, handled by Bob Will, a typewriter repairman who runs a rescue shelter for groundhogs. Now, in the Midwest, Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, is the self-proclaimed groundhog capital of the world. This title was taken in response to the Punxsutawney Spirit's 1952 newspaper article describing Sun Prairie as, quote, a remote two-cow village buried somewhere in the wilderness. In 2015, Jimmy the Groundhog bit the ear of Mayor John <laughs> Freund, and the story quickly went viral worldwide. The next day, a mayoral proclamation absolved Jimmy the 11th of any wrongdoing. Buckeye Chuck, Ohio's official state groundhog, uh, resides in Marion, Ohio. Woodstock Willie in Woodstock, Illinois, uh, was the shooting location for the 1993 film Groundhog's Day. And in the South, in Washington, D.C., the DuPont Circle Groundhog Day event features Potomac Phil. They consider Washington, D.C. South? I guess. I guess it's I'm, below the Mason-Dixon line. Yeah, Potomac Phil. Now, Phil, this Phil is another taxidermic specimen, so he's not alive either. Fake news. From his first appearance in 2012 to 2018, Potomac Phil's spring predictions invariably agreed with those of the more lively Punxsutawney Phil, who made his predictions half an hour earlier. Mm -mm. There's collusion going on in D.C., with a dead groundhog. With a dead groundhog. Those, um, now in addition, Phil always predicted correctly six more months of political gridlock. Oh, so we have another very political groundhog here. He's dead. Though, so, so. Oh, okay. Anyway. However, after being accused of collusion in 2018, mm -hmm. Potomac Phil contradicted Punxsutawney Phil in 2019 and further predicted two more years of political insanity. So he is straight up political. That, But that was in 2018. He predicted two more years of political insanity. And I would say that, I mean, honestly, you could say, I feel like you could predict political insanity from now until the end of time and you're going to be correct. Especially in Washington, D.C. Yeah, like that's a that's really not a fair assessment. 
Anyway. He's going he's gonna to be 100% right every year. I'm telling you. Birmingham Bill at Birmingham Zoo was taking a break from predicting in 2015. I guess the stress got to him. So it's not for everybody. In Raleigh, North Carolina, an annual event at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences includes Sir Walter Wally. That's cute. Sir Walter Wally in Raleigh. Yeah, I get it. Uh, according to museum officials, Wally has been correct 58% of the time. And it has to be in North Carolina for Sir Walter Wally. Yeah. Okay. Elsewhere in the American South, the General Beauregard Lee makes predictions from Lilburn, Georgia, uh, later Butts County, Georgia. Um, I've heard of General Beauregard Lee before. Yeah. I, he's a pretty famous guy. The University of Dallas in Irving, Texas, has boasted of hosting the second largest groundhog celebration in the world, probably right behind Gobbler's Knob, I would mm-hmm. imagine. In Canada, due to Nova Scotia's Atlantic time zone, Shubinakati Sam <laughs> makes the first Groundhog Day prediction in North America. Dax Day is Groundhog's Day in the dialect of Lunenburg, Nova Scotia. I hope I said that right. Dox Day? It might be Dox Day. In French Canada, where the day is known as Jouer de la Marmotte, Fred La Marmotte of Val d'Espoir has been the representative forecaster for the province of Quebec since 2009. I hope they dress him up just for that. I hope. I'm sure they do. Yeah. A study also shows that in Quebec, the marmot or groundhog uh, are regarded as candlemas weather predicting beasts in some scattered spots, but the bear is the more usual animal. Wyerton Willie forecasts annually from Wyerton, Ontario. Balzac Billy is the prairie prognosticator, a man-sized groundhog mascot who prognosticates weather on Groundhog Day from Balzac, Alberta. Nanaimo, I think is how you say the name of the fairy port city on Vancouver Island in British Columbia, Canada, presents Chopper, Marlou, and Van Isle Violet, all wild Vancouver Island marmots for forecasts via the Marmot Recovery Foundation. So just how accurate are these predictions? So we got some statistics. Mm. And it, it gets complicated. Nothing simple. Puxtani Phil's statistics, statistics are kept by the Pennsylvania's Groundhog Club, which cares for Phil. I don't trust. Mm, are they trustworthy? They must be. Phil has predicted 103 forecasts for winter and just 17 for an early spring. Hmm. That could just be Pennsylvania's weather at that time of the year. Most assessments of Phil's accuracy have given accuracy lower than would be expected with just random chance. Oh, that's not good. With Storm Facts Almanac given an estimated 39% and meteorologist Tom Roche of Weather Underground giving a 30% accuracy rate between 1969 and 2016, a range chosen because local weather data was most reliable from 1969 onward and a 47% record in that time span when predicting early spring. You're not you're not doing good, Chuck. Yep. Or the, Phil. The National Centers for Environmental Information using a basic metric of above normal temperatures for early spring and below normal temperatures for more winter placed Puxtani Phil's accuracy at 40% for the 10-year period preceding 2019. Other poor results from analysis are reported by the Farmer's Almanac, which is, I'm sorry, Ben, but it's only known for um, being accurate about 50% of the time. 
and the National Geographic Society is reporting that Phil's only accurate 28% of the time. Yikes! But a Middlebury College team, I wonder why there's so much difference, but we'll get to that. But a Middlebury College team found that a long-term analysis of temperature, high and low predictions were 70% accurate, Although when the groundhog was predicted early spring, it was usually wrong. So Middlebury says that when they predict an early spring, it's usually wrong. But Weather Underground says that if it's an early spring, it's usually right. And Farmer's Almanac says it's 50-50. National Geographic says 28%. The Groundhog Club only gives it a 39%. So these numbers are all over the place. Canadian meteorologist Cindy Day has estimated that Nova Scotia's groundhog has an accuracy rate of about 45% compared to 25% for Weirton Willie in Ontario. Now, is there a reason why? Part of the problem with pinning down an accuracy rate for the groundhog is that what constitutes an early spring and is not it's not clearly defined. Assess, assessments of the accuracy of other groundhogs, such as Staten Island Chuck, do not use an objective formula. In Chuck's case, a majority of days that reach 40 degrees Fahrenheit in New York City between Groundhog Day and March equinox. So I Listen, say I say we trust the animal. I'm I'm not going to take on Staten Island Chuck. No, no. Um, I don't want to rumble with him. So we're just going to say whatever Chuck said. Good, fine. Yeah, so... Works for there, me, Chuck. There, so there's reasons. And like we say with everything, statistics can be manipulated. They can And be. I think Chuck is a lot more accurate. And I think, you know, historically, mm-hmm. I think those ancient people... Are they ancient? They're old. Back in the old day. I think they had something that they, they made these predictions off of. And so, you know, it, it could be with the temperature or the ground warming up that predicted an early spring... Which, I, which is what I think it is. I think early spring, the earth started to warm up. It woke the animal up from its hibernation. He came out. Yeah. So I, th- I think it has. Maybe. I think it has something to do with that. But I'm not a groundhog <laughs> science science guy. I don't know. Now, gro- prediction yeah. based on an animal's behavior used to be given more credence in the past when stores of food became scarce as winter progressed. One theory states that the groundhog naturally comes out of hibernation in central Pennsylvania in early February because of the increasing average temperature, like what you just said. So under this theory, if German settlements had been centered further north, Groundhog Day would take place at a later date. However, the observed behavior of groundhogs in central New Jersey was that they mostly come out of their burrows in mid-March, regardless of Groundhog Day weather. There are several different ways of defining when spring begins, but by some common methods of doing so, the first day of spring is around March 20th, which is always just under seven weeks after February 2nd, even in late leap years. Also, the idea of spring arriving early is a highly subjective notion, which could arguably refer to almost anything from several days to several weeks. I'm with Chuck. I think Chuck is a lot more accurate so what is spring the early? Science people give him credit so for. So what do you call spring early then? Is it a couple days early, a couple weeks early? What do you, what is early? It's whatever Chuck predicts. Oh my gosh. At any rate, Groundhog's Day serves as a convenient and whimsical milestone to I mark the end of the darkest 3 months of the year, which are of course November, December, and January in the northern hemisphere, and it bookends nicely with Halloween. 
The two holidays are opposite and roughly equidistant in time from the winter solstice, with Halloween festivities starting after sunset and taking place in the nighttime, and Groundhog Day being a celebration of sunrise and morning. Well, there you have it. Everything you ever want to know about Groundhogs and Groundhog Day. Did you ever imagine there would be so much to this fun little tradition? And it would be so complicated. And some of these groundhogs too, Are like mean. the ones. That, well, no, the, like the ones that we mentioned in um, Canada. Like, there's some serious rivalries yeah. between some of these groundhogs and well, some of their cities. Unfortunately, it's probably coming down to competition for money. I'm just guessing. You're such a skeptic. Well, I don't know, but I think Kirsty Zantini, if you're listening, you should go up to the Boonshaft here in Dayton. And you should do a groundhog prediction every year with one of their groundhogs. They don't have. Or, they but don't they have, have otters. We could right do. Now. We could do it with an otter. Oh, we could do, we we could do, do it with an otter. otter. Or yeah, they have they prairie dogs. To. They have prairie dogs. They no. They, they have uh, uh, meerkats. They have there's, meerkats. There's all sorts of little critters. Yeah, Kirsty, you could go up they, there and do this prediction every they year. They used to. Like I remember when I was a kid. I'm unless this is a Mandela effect thing, but I'm pretty sure that they used to have a groundhog and that the local news stations would go up to Boonshoft and do Groundhog's Day, but this they don't is have o- one. This now. is Ohio. It would not be hard to catch I a groundhog and put it up there. Grab yeah. one. Yeah. So yeah, I think that would be fun. Yeah. So anyway, it's fun to watch the mayor of Puxatawney and the city leaders get all dressed up in their tuxes and do their little ceremony. But I I will say poor Phil. You kind of touched on it earlier, but he kind of always looks like he's drugged up. Like, yeah. I don't they, think he's always that a, They give him a shot of something to calm him down. Yeah. You know, yeah, they, you don't they, want him, like, going crazy on live TV. And the, you don't the want to lose it. watching. You don't want to lose a finger. Yeah, and you don't want to drop him. Could you imagine yeah. if you drop... I mean, it's one thing to drop Staten Island Groundhog, but Punxsutawney Phil. Yeah. I wonder what he's insur- if he's insured. I don't know. I bet he is. I bet you there have been multiple... I bet you he's got lots of insurance policies yeah. on him. Who knows? That sounds like a Nicholas Cage that's something, movie. That's something we should go there and talk to him and see if we can visit him. Oh, yeah. I wonder if he's like I, out on display. I, that could be like a new Nicholas Cage movie is we're going to steal Punks Tony Phil. They got they did it for the Gra- Declaration of Independence. Now yeah. it's time to steal the groundhog. Yeah. What? Wait, what could we call that movie? Gra- we can't call it Groundhog Day. <laughs> no, we can't call it Groundhog Anyway. We will think of a name. Uh, I guess. All right. Well, enough about that cute little creature, the groundhog. Not the beast, but that cute little critter. Um, Kim, if someone wants to get hold of us, how do they do it? You can find us on all the socials. And if you want to write to us, it is alosthour at gmail.com. Anything else? Um, no, I'm just looking forward to, so Steve is going to be out of town next week. We have an interview show ready in the bucket for you. Definitely one that you are going to want to listen to, especially if you are from Dayton, but it's going to be fantastic. Even if you're not from Dayton. And we'll give a hint. Even if you're not from Dayton, you should buy this book. Yeah. We have an interview with an author who is local royalty, basically. Um, I'm, I was, She's now, after having her on the podcast, we're now friends, and I love her to death. And I, So you definitely want to listen in next week. All right. So we've covered everything. I think so. And so I I'll guess go it's Go look for baby for, pictures. Yep. So from our studios in Sugar Creek Township. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us.
worked hard this week. Our only source is Wikipedia. (laughs) 